0: What does it take to keep a movie studio open during the pandemic? A lot of work and a lot of COVID tests. In order to make sure that everything runs smoothly and there's no outbreaks, Pinewood Atlanta Studios will be spending about $1.5 million on tests each month once it's operating at full capacity. They are also using an app to track workers' symptoms between tests and a badge system that doesn't let you open any doors on the lot unless you have a negative test. For more on how Pinewood Atlanta Studios is operating, we'll speak to Sarah Krause, reporter at The Wall Street Journal.
1: So there's a number of measures that they have in place of which testing is one part. But essentially, before you can come onto the set or onto the lot, which is the 700-acre facility, you have to be cleared of COVID. So days before reporting to work, you come in to an offsite location nearby that you get swabbed by a nurse. They process it when you have a negative result. An app that you will have downloaded by that point sort of clears you. You answer symptom checks before you report to the lot. When you get to the lot, you have to show that all clear to a security sort of checkpoint where you're issued a different color wristband every day to make sure that everyone who is there is safe to be there. There's compliance monitors that keep an eye out to make sure everyone has those correct wristbands and your worker badge will not work to open any doors unless you have a clear COVID test and have passed a symptom check, then have gone through all the requisite security protocols in order to
0: be there. That's a lot of stuff. It sounds like a great system. (laughs) I'm worried about that time when you know your test doesn't clear with enough time and your badge isn't working and you're late to set or something. There's a lot of different things that can go wrong along the way, but at least they're aiming for this robust system there. Tell me a little bit more about the testing, because a lot of people talk about testing and how it either does figure into the workplace or it doesn't. It can be very expensive. The regimen of testing that they're doing there at Pinewood Atlanta Studios could cost more than $1.5 million. A month.
1: That's right. So I spoke with Pinewood Atlanta Studios chief executive who sort of steeped himself in research on testing and viral transmission and air quality when all of this really kicked off and became apparent in mid-March that it was going to be a problem. And his main goal is, you know, what can we do to make sure that if filming starts, it's uninterrupted? You know, how can we bring everyone back safely and avoid any disruptions? And so, yes, the testing regime that they've settled on for now and knowing it's sort of a work in progress that may change over time, it will cost more than a million and a half a month some people are tested multiple times a week, some people are tested just once a week, and how frequently you get tested is dictated by the type of job you have. So if you're someone who is in close contact with many different types of other people on set, you are going to be tested more frequently than someone who maybe operates a piece of machinery well away from others. So it's very sort of role-specific to determine the frequency of tests. And to ensure that there is that quick turnaround time that you talked about, they tried to pick a testing partner that itself works with a network of laboratories. So you're not reliant on one lab that may have a bottleneck in terms of too many tests to process at once or a supply chain problem. They're trying to work with multiple labs and even in some cases overnight samples to labs that can handle that capacity. So speed is sort of of the utmost import here just to make sure that you have actionable information that you can then isolate if someone's sick or clear them and have them get to work.
0: Once things start really get rolling from your article, you know, you mentioned there's going to be about 3,000 to 6,000 workers who could be on set every day. So the costs are going to go up, obviously, and then just the turnaround time for such a massive amount of tests is going to be pretty crazy. Mr. Patterson, who you spoke to, also thinks that the testing will require for, uh, you know, a state's film production tax credits, which is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Sign of the times, I guess, you're going to have to start rolling this into hey, are we going to come and work in your state? Well, you're going to give us tax credits for testing.
1: As companies that embrace testing go all in and really try to make it part of their ongoing protocols for the indefinite future, they're trying to say, you know, like, who's going to pay for this? Do we have the budget to pay for it? Does it come out of our profits? Is there a way to take advantage of economic development incentives that exist? So how do we make this more affordable and palatable if this is something that we are going to need to be able to continue shooting? In the movie industry, the other thing that they benefit from is there was a lot of cash thrown into streaming services and new content delivery. So there's investor cash that is available to make sure that there is new content to stream through all these pipes that we have now coming into our living room. And so timing is of the essence in terms of cranking out new content as well. And having that cash to help pay for some of the testing is useful in this case
0: as well. You did make mention of a few other companies that are getting their testing underway and antibody tests as well. You mentioned SpaceX, grocery store chain, uh, Kroger, Microsoft. They're all looking for different ways at handling the testing process. We even saw Google announce that they're letting workers stay home until summer 2021. So there's just other ways to kind of get around all of that. But but there's so much that's going on with uh, uh, so many difficulties in, in reopening these companies.
1: And there's a pretty wide variety, as you say, of approaches to it. There's companies that have said do we really need people in the office? Can people continue to do their jobs productively or remotely? Or, you know, if we're going to bring them back, what role, if any, should testing play? How would we pay for that? What would it look like? Another company in my story was Siemens Healthineers, and they wanted a consistent testing protocol for all of their workers around the world. And so they, again, sort of created their own system for how frequently someone should be tested. That's based in part on the nature of their role if they're traveling in states where infections are not under control. So companies are sort of creating each of them their own formula for what, works or what they hope will work to bring people back in the safest way possible. Um, but essentially every executive that I talked to for this story said, it's an iterative process. We're figuring it out. We're trying to make workers not feel like guinea pigs, but also like have some security <laughs> right. that when they come to work, we you know we're not perpetuating an outbreak or we're jumping on sickness very quickly to be able to isolate an infected person.
0: And that's had a necessity. Going back to the film industry, they haven't as a whole adopted any formal testing rules and Pinewood Atlanta is kind of just going with it right now, and they'll adjust as they have to, as a lot of companies are going to. Sarah Kraus, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Another story developing this week, baseball has been having a rough go at it as they begin their 60-game season amid the pandemic. Major League Baseball has paused the 2020 season for the Miami Marlins after an outbreak of COVID-19 among players and staff. One big issue for them is the misalignment between the playing schedule, testing schedule, and protocols for what happens in between. For more on how coronavirus is impacting the shortened baseball season, we'll speak to Louise Radnovsky, sports reporter at The Wall Street Journal.
2: I think it's helpful to compare what's happening in baseball to something that people have seen in action for a number of weeks now, which is the bubble model. Baseball's protocols are somewhat the opposite of the bubble. They're playing a very long season shorter than usual, but still a very long (laughs) season relative to the one month that folks, for example, in the National New Soccer League were in a bubble in Utah. They're playing a long season. They're playing a lot of games in that season, very close together. They're moving around a lot. And they're also testing. They're not testing as frequently as folks inside the bubble are testing, which is every day. In some cases, using a laboratory that's very close by that they can drive the results to and get relatively quickly. They are shipping instead in baseball. They're results to labs in Salt Lake City or in New Jersey, and it can take up to 48 hours for results to come back. They're also testing every other day. So what you had in the case of the Marlins, and actually in the case of the Washington Nationals on the very opening game of opening day, is a situation in which you can have players going out onto the field without knowing what their status is at that time, including in the case of the Nationals, knowing that one of their teammates had tested positive from a test taken two days earlier. They just learned the results of the morning of Thursday when opening day was due to start.
0: And what happens with all of this, it makes this complicated contact tracing assignment for people, especially just going with the Marlins situation. They've played already in three cities, Miami, Atlanta, and Philadelphia over the past 10 days, and they have to go back to see where it all started. What
2: you have in the bubble is a scenario in which if somebody tests positive, you know relatively quickly you can isolate them. And what you've seen in the bubble is there have been some number of positive tests and the number has fallen over time to zero. What you've seen in four days of baseball is the exact opposite. You learn two days later that somebody tested positive and by that time the team could be in an entirely different city to the one they were in before, playing an entirely different team where the team that they've just played has gone on to play another team as well. So that's soulmaking making for a very troubling scenario. If you believe that the field is where transmission is occurring, even if it's not, then you've got a scenario where the clubhouses really come under particular scrutiny and neither scenario is good. In some ways, this outbreak being confined to one team is the better of two scenarios for baseball.
0: You know, in a 60 game schedule, how do you catch up? There's already been a bunch of postponed games The teams are going to have to play multiple games in a day, possibly, or, or, you know, throughout the week or whatever. Can it become too unwieldy for MLB to catch up?
2: From an infectious disease standpoint, the important part of catching up is how you halt things in their tracks to stop them from spreading further. So while baseball is wondering things like, how do you catch up with the calendar? There's also a question of how you catch up with the contact tracing and the testing schedule going forward. What's clear is what's being implemented with Marlins does give the folks who are working on the infectious disease side some opportunity to stop, assess where people are at before they move further, which just makes this an even harder target to pin down in terms of finding out who's infectious and who's not before they have a chance to infect too many other people.
0: Obviously, the logistics are a nightmare when it comes to something like this. So many games, obviously, the teams might be a little bit bigger than a, a NBA team. But why did they choose not to go with some type of bubble situation?
2: The size of the roster was a huge part of it. They didn't think that they could find the location or locations necessary that were big enough to put all of those people in a closed system. On top of that, they were looking at doing that for months as opposed to weeks which is also a difficult thing to sustain for a period of time, even with the cooperation of the people in the bubble and what they didn't have was that cooperation because players didn't want to leave their families for months at a time to be sequestered.
0: Has there been any reaction from the Marlins, from MLB at large, just saying something more than just these pauses? Well,
2: what we've heard from MLB is that they don't think that this is a terrible situation. In fact, specifically the phrase used by the commissioner on MLB Network on Monday night was that this is a nightmare scenario. They think the protocols that they have in place are effective and that they are doing what they need to do to keep players as safe as possible, which is not a standard of nobody gets infected. It's a standard of we believe we can control or limit outbreaks, not necessarily even to one team. There is a scenario they envision which a team loses so many players to infection that they become non-competitive and that team might have to drop out of competition, but they don't see a scenario in which right now this is going to lead to them shutting down the season. And they don't see that the protocols they presumably continue to intend to use are going to cause that kind of problem later in the season either.
0: Well, it was always going to be a crazy season. So we'll just have to keep monitoring and seeing what develops with the pandemic and these players. Luis Radnovsky, sports reporter for The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And more entertainment news this week. The workplace of the Ellen DeGeneres show is under investigation by Warner Media after some reports of a toxic work culture and crew furious over poor communication during the coronavirus shutdown. Despite the bad reports, there have not been any direct allegations made about Ellen herself. For more on all the bad news at The Ellen Show, we'll speak to Matt Donnelly, senior film writer at Variety. So
3: essentially, human resources representative is for both the production company that makes Ellen, which is called Telepictures, and Warner Brothers, which obviously airs the program or distributes it, have both come together in sort of pursuit of information about just sort of the day-to-day experience for Ellen's employees. In a memo we obtained, they sort of referenced these stories and said that their goal is to ultimately create a work environment where everyone is sort of protected and also can sort of advance and flourish in safety. So uh, I think it's, you know, a pretty responsible move on their part. But at this point, what we know is that they're reaching out to current and former employees to discuss their experiences where presumably they'll conduct a sort of a larger report about what, if anything needs to change there.
0: Now let's talk about these two reports just to kind of see what we're working with here. Back in April, Variety reported on the treatment of crew members during the coronavirus lockdown. So very loosely. When things initially shut down, there was crew members who were saying that we weren't really being told what was going to be the fate of our hours or our pay. And then when Ellen resumed some sort of filming at her home, they were kind of left out of the lurch on that too. And uh, I guess they hired some non-union workers to do that work instead of them.
3: Yeah, a lot of the um, sources we spoke with who are familiar with the production basically say that her long-term crew, people have been with her some of the entire 17-year run of the show, just expected a better level of treatment in terms of if and when they would come back. You know, and up until the moment we published our report, that legacy crew was told to sort of expect dramatically reduced compensation, even though the show was going on filming at the normal rate. So I think a lot of people felt sort of betrayed in a way by mixed messages, especially for someone whose banner... They're saying for her show is to be kind.
0: And some say this is very difficult situations, obviously, in the confusion and chaos of the coronavirus pandemic that hit. And in some ways, it makes sense to maybe hire those non-union workers because they have to do something, maybe things that the union might not have agreed for their workers, depending on safety and all that. So sometimes those things make sense. But they were just saying that they weren't even afforded that choice or whatnot.
3: Of course. Yeah, I think it was a lack of transparency that really got to people. And yes, you know, coronavirus has, has caused such a dramatic ripple effect in how we do or more specifically how we don't do production at this moment. So yeah, the union might have to look the other way occasionally on just getting some people back to work instead of, you know, sort of a massive shutdown. But yeah, again, I think it was that sort of lack of care that really got to some long-term employees.
0: Yeah, and the pay was also an issue. I know they told them you're going to get reduced hours or reduced pay that way, but shortly after you guys posted your story, then it started coming out, well, well, they're going to get paid their full amount, their full pay, all that stuff.
3: I think that the production sort of realized what the right thing to do was, especially because if you follow the logic through if they were taping the same amount of episodes, that means that this is going into syndicated viewership and selling the same amount of advertising. So no one's really losing money. On the end, it's just obviously out of an abundance of caution here to figure out how to actually make the show. But, you know, again, it, I think Hollywood is a town that when you're established the way that Ellen is, and you've got, you know, a, a working family, as some people put it to me, over 17 years, they expect you to cover them the way they've covered you. So I think that was a large part of the frustration. And, you know, another thing that was in that same report was that you know no one had even checked in and said, "How are you? How are your family? How's right. your mental health? which I think a lot of companies, you know including the publisher of variety, a lot of people did do that you know and say we're here for you, if you need resources, if you need childcare, if you need meditation class, <laughs> you know any number of things just sort of band together in a really unprecedented and highly stressful time. A lot of people thought that that wasn't done and were' quite surprised.
0: The other part of this in mid July, BuzzFeed published a report. Alleging a toxic work culture there, there was an employee who said that there was some racist behavior going around and a few other things that just really made working there on the show not really tolerable.
3: The Busted Report has a sort of a spectrum of accused behavior that is troubling from just to start a sort of an onset atmosphere of intimidation and fear. You know, there were some accounts of verbal abuse. There were accounts of sort of, you know, uh, an idea that overall senior leadership at Ellen felt that, you know, it was a privilege to work there. And anyone who might complain about sort of the emotional atmosphere or even working conditions could just move on because they can find anyone else who would die to work for Ellen to much more serious stuff, like specifically with people of color on the set, from jokes about two African-American females being mistaken for each other because they have the same hairstyle, to another employee being sort of shouted down as angry and resentful because she suggested that the entire staff receive diversity and inclusion training. You know, all this was reported in the BuzzFeed story, and it's quite serious, especially, I would say, in the world we live in, which is a post Me Too world. And if you even look at what's been happening in this country in the past two months, there is a, it's an incredibly justifiable demand for a lack of this toxicity and for transparency around how we're all treating each other at work.
0: Now, one thing that I found interesting is that there's no specific allegations about Ellen DeGeneres herself, but we mm-hmm. have seen a lot of different reports, anecdotal stuff, where people were saying, you know, Ellen herself is difficult to work with, or she's mean on set, mean to her workers as well, things like that. But that has nothing to do with these reports that we know of right now.
3: In the Buzz report, it was mentioned just sort of, you know, how she is as a figurehead on the show. And, and a lot of the things that are said about her are, are nothing that you wouldn't hear about any other sort of figure in show business that looms as large as she does. Don't make eye contact. Avoid her or, or duck if she's coming down the hall. Respect her space, like that kind of thing, which I think is sort of par for the course. And I can very confidently say I've heard from my own sources the same anecdotes. But then, you know, also that that has some other more serious consequences. If Ellen is receiving information from only a few people and how she's processing the day-to-day operation of the show, is filtered, that can create blind spots. I think anyone could argue that.
0: Matt Donnelly, senior film writer at Variety, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Don't forget to join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.